0: Well, I am fired up that you're here. Um, this this past summer, Jamie and I were in Nairobi, Kenya, visiting one of our amazing CCV mission partners. They're uh, in one of the worst slums in the entire world, pulling kids out of poverty. And we, we just were so impressed with what was going on. And by the way, if you've never gone on a CCV mission trip, I'd really encourage you to get on a trip. You can sign up. We have several next year. There's actually a group, I think, right in Nairobi, Kenya, right now. And if you give to CCV, thank you, because... What you're giving helps us support these missionaries around the world that are really making a difference. But while Jamie and I were there, the last day we were in Kenya, we uh, had a little extra time before we had to catch our flight. And I thought, Jamie, let's, let's go to this game park. We're in Africa. Let's go see some animals, right? So we actually went to a game park. We had a guide. And you're, you're in this truck. And you can kind of see, like in this truck, like where they, they open up the roof. You can see out and actually, like with Jamie, I'm actually pointing out there's a giraffe coming up. You can see this huge giraffe. I might post this video on social later this week. What I was saying to Jamie is I'm saying, this giraffe wants to give you a kiss, babe. And so I'm messing with her. But we love seeing them. The giraffe was super fun. But I kept telling my guide, hey, I want to see a lion. Like, show me the lion, you know. And our guide was, was kind of like telling me to pipe down a little bit. He was basically saying, keep your expectations in check because it's really hard to see a lion. At, at this time, for whatever reason, they said they hide like crazy, and he's like, we probably won't see one. I, I kept trying to motivate him. I'm like, you can show us the lion. Come on, you know? And uh, sure enough, uh, about an hour and a half later, he stopped and he goes, look, look right there. And I'm looking and I go, I don't see anything. He goes, you gotta look harder, look right there. And literally hidden in the most sneaky way in, this, in, in, the, in the brush the brush. Underneath this big tree was this massive lion. And I thought to myself, like afterwards, after we were done, we were flying back home, I thought, if I wouldn't have had that guide, I wouldn't have seen that at all. I would not, I could have been walking right past that killer beast. He would have jumped out and like destroyed me. And in many ways, that's, this series is designed to be a guide to help you see an enemy Satan that is hiding and on the prowl in your life. And many of us don't recognize him him in our lives. In fact, a recent Gallup poll said that about four out of 10 Americans don't even believe Satan's real, which is a massive, massive mistake. In fact, I love what Charles Baudelaire said. He said one of Satan's greatest tricks he's ever pulled on this world is to convince this world that he doesn't exist, that he's not there. And We have to be aware of his schemes in our lives. I like what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Have your eyes wide open watching. Why? Because your adversary, remember that word, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Now, the first point in this passage is that Satan is referred to as a lion, which means he comes from the cat family. <laughs> which is what I've been trying to say like so many ways, you know? Evil. It's actually not the main point of this passage, okay? The main point of this passage is that he's like a lion and lions hide. They prowl. They sneak up on you when you just don't see it coming. And that's why we have to be eyes wide open. Because Satan is coming after you Every single day. And I get it. Some of you are like, well, let's not overplay it. And and, and admittedly, there are people that overplay Satan's influence in their life, right? You've seen this before. You have a buddy or a friend who bombs a test and they say, oh, Satan attacking me. Like, no, bro, you just didn't study for the test, right? Or, you know, you have a friend who's like, my car broke down. This is demonic, it's not demonic. You drive a Volkswagen. It's going to break down, all right? <laughs> Cars break down, right? Let's not, let's not overplay it. But my experience as a pastor is we don't overplay Satan's influence. Most of us underplay his influence in our lives. He's coming after you. Watch what Ephesians chapter 6 says. For our struggle. Anybody have any struggles? Anybody have struggles in your marriage? Anybody have struggles with your kids? Maybe you have struggles with your mental health, at work, with a coworker, your struggles are not against flesh and blood. You're like, "Then who's it against?" Watch. Your struggle's not always against a person. Your struggles against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. Satan. And his demons are coming after you, and they live in a different realm that if you're not aware of it, you're going to miss it. And so this series is designed to guide you. I think about it this way. It's, it's, it's like an NFL scouting team. You better scout out your opponent so you can develop a battle plan to win the battle, something the Cardinals may need to work on just a little bit, okay? Okay. <laughs> But, but we need to understand the battle plan of our enemy, Satan. And last week, I thought Mark did a great job. He told us there's, there's really three plays Satan runs against you all the time. And you have to be aware of them or you miss them. It's deception, accusation, and temptation. And last week, we talked about deception. If you missed it, go back and watch it. Next week, we're going to talk about temptation. Okay. This week, I want to talk to you about Satan's scheme and his play, accusation. This is a sneaky one. But did you know Satan's name, the word Satan, did you know it actually means accuser? Adversary? What Satan does is he likes to throw arrows. I mean, imagine someone just shooting arrows of accusation at your heart all day long, and he's hoping one of those accusations gets lodged in your heart, because he knows if he can lodge an accusation in your heart that does not come from God, he can destroy your life. Have you ever thought about this in your life before? Do you know, before you sin, before you sin, Satan whispers in your ear deception, what we talked about last week, he just, he lies to you. But do you realize after you sin, Satan shouts at your heart accusation? Can I show you how this plays out? Before you ever sin, he just whispers like this. He's like, hey, it's no big deal. You can do this, come on. Everybody's doing it. And I know what God's word says, but that was back then, you're different now. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. Just do it, just do it once, try it out. The moment, the moment you fall prey to his deception, he no longer whispers, what does he do? He shouts accusations. The moment you sin, what's he do? How could you? You are worthless. You are dirty. You are filthy, a shameful person. Your life is over. In fact, how, how, how could God ever love someone like you? Look what you did. In fact, you're so long gone, just keep going down that path and playing in the mud because God will never take you back. This is the tool of Satan is accusation. And why does he accuse because if he can get one of those accusations lodged in your heart, even secular psychologists tell us, you feel unworthy and shame for long enough, it will hold you back in every single area of your life. And my experience is that many of us here today, we struggle with falling prey to Satan's accusations. In fact, very transparently, um, I would tell you I struggle. I um, struggle. My struggle would go something like this, and this is just one example. Um, Jamie and I have a great marriage, and I can say that with integrity. I love that woman. She loves me. We do not fight very often, but I would say this. When we do fight, we can compete with the best of them. We can. And our, our, our issue is very, very simple. Um, when we fight, I can be overly harsh, and she can be crazy stubborn, you put those two things in a petri dish called marriage it's going to have some explosive times and the problem is we we can explode at times in front of our kids it 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 just happened recently you know we're we're driving in the car i'm driving we're we're trying to do some teaching with one of our daughters who's Who's, who's driving, and we're trying to teach her the right way, and which is already a tense situation, teaching your kids how to drive, right, anyways. And, and, and I feel very passionate about one thing she should do. Jamie feels the opposite. She, she, she should do something else. And man, it, for whatever reason, it just got explosive. I blew my top. I pulled the car over and, like, exploded on everybody, including Jamie, right in front of everyone. I mean, Jamie's almost getting out of the car, and I'm, like, taking off so she can't, you know. And we, we drive the whole way home, it is silent. No one's saying a word. We get home, Jamie and I don't speak a word to each other. We're getting ready to climb into bed, I look over at her and I'm like, hey baby, you wanna have some fun tonight? Just kidding, I did, I did not, I did not say that, okay? I am not even that stupid to say that, right? What did, what, what did we do? We, we actually started hashing it out. We, we, we were starting to work it out and, and like I apologized and we apologized, we actually got our kids together apologized to them and it was good. But you know what happened to me probably the next week. It's like every day I just I just had these arrows of accusations going into my heart. I mean Satan would tell me over and over again, gosh, you call yourself a man of God? You stand up and preach God's word and you're going to te- you're going to treat your wife like that? In front of your kids? You are a terrible father. You are unworthy of that woman in your life. In fact, you are unworthy of the calling God has given. I mean, do do you understand the arrows of accusation that can come towards you? And some of you are thinking, like, you just blew up on them? That's your, I've done much worse. In fact, just this last week, I was reading a journal entry that I had written 22 years ago, and you know the line I read? It just broke my heart. I wrote this line in my journal. Sometimes I just feel so unworthy. Satan's accusations In my life. And he does the same exact thing to you. It's the tool he uses, he is the accuser. And many of us today, I believe, are sidelined in our faith because we have listened to the accusations and let one of them or multiple of them come into our heart and lodge into our heart. Some of us today, we're not a light in our workplace today. We are not leading our family. We are not leading in our friendships. We are running from God. We are not serving in church anymore or at all. Some of us have held off giving our lives to Jesus and being baptized, as simple as that. And the reason why is we feel unworthy. We feel shame. We've listened to the accusations of Satan. And what I wanna do today very simply is I wanna take you to a passage of scripture I wanna show you how clearly Satan accuses us. I wanna show you God's response to his accusations in our life. And I want us to develop a game plan and a battle plan to fight and be ready for this scheme of Satan in our lives, you ready? If you wanna turn to the book of uh, Zechariah, it's a obscure book, it's a small book in the Old Testament, Zechariah was a prophet. And this is a prophetic message for us. It's actually an amazing uh, passage because what happens in Zechariah is he has a vision. And his vision is, is it's a courtroom. It's a heavenly courtroom. And what's amazing about this courtroom is it, it's actually very similar to a courtroom we'd experience I mean, in our world today. If you think about every courtroom, what, what do we have in a courtroom? You have a defendant, you have a judge that sits at the center of the room, the defendant sits to the left, and... The accuser or the plaintiff, the one who's bringing the accusations, almost always sits to the right. That's how we've set up our courts. Now, just watch the same situation play out with a man named Joshua. You're going to see the angel of the Lord in the judgment seat. That's a representation of Jesus. And then we're going to see Satan sitting on the right as the accuser. Watch this, Zechariah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then he showed me, this is this vision, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side. You see the heavenly courtroom scene setting up? And what is Satan there to do to Joshua in front of the Lord, in front of Jesus? What is he there to do? It goes on to say this. He's there to accuse him. I'm going to accuse you. And it seems as if Satan actually has a pretty good case because verse three says this. Now Joshua, the man who's in the defendant seat, he's dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the Lord, the angel. Now, the word filthy in the NIV is a very soft translation. The same exact word later on in other places in Scripture is actually translated excrement, dung. Think of the nastiest filth you could ever imagine, and it says this man Joshua is covered in it. He's covered in this filth, and what we're gonna see is this filth represents his sin, it's representative of our sin. Even as good as you think you are, all of us stand before a holy God in the judgment seat. The Bible says that, that our best day, our goodness, is like filthy rags in front of a holy God because all of us are sinners. And the thing is, some of us just feel it more right now because we're, we're sitting in the midst of a pile of dung We've we've done something. We've messed up in a marriage or a relationship or we've fallen prey to something again and again and we just, we're in the mess, we're in the dung. But as Satan accuses Joshua, and what, what does he do? He says, look at his filth. Look at the pile of junk he's piled up in his life. What is God's response? I want you to listen to this and let this sink into your heart. What is God's response? The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now the word rebuke here means literally to censor with anger. It's as if God looks at Satan and says, you shut up. You do not accuse my child. Which is a a beautiful picture because it, it means this. When Satan accuses you, God rebukes him if you've placed your faith and your trust in who Jesus is. Now you think, how can Satan rebuke, or how can God rebuke Satan when Joshua is covered in filth? And I want you to see, because this is such a powerful picture of the gospel, of the cross, what Jesus came to do for us. Verse four says this, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. This is just a foreshadowing of what Jesus did for all of us on the cross. What did Jesus do? When Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he hung on a cross, and he, he was the only perfect person who has ever lived in this world. He died, and when he died, he died for your sin and mine. All of our filth. And what he did, just picture this in your mind. Jesus took your filth and he put it on himself. And then he gave you a perfect, clean, forgiven life. That is the picture of the cross. And you know what? Some of us, we've become almost too familiar with it. It's, it's, it's not even the power of it is lost on us that that when god looks at us he doesn't see our filth if we place our faith in jesus he sees a forgiven person who's clean and that's why when satan looks at us and goes look at your filth god says look at my son look at my son he is clean in my sight so what when satan accuses you jesus is your advocate if Satan's your accuser, Jesus immediately becomes your advocate. And does anybody else need an advocate? I need an advocate. All of us need an advocate, because 1 John 2:1 says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Uh, but if any of you does sin, that's all of us, all of us sin. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Do you know that word advocate is a legal term? It's the courtroom scene again. It's it's Jesus coming in and advocating and saying, I know he's guilty. But I take it on myself, and so he's clean. I need an advocate, you need an advocate. And here's the question I want every person here to answer today it's a simple question Is Jesus your advocate? Not do you want him to be your advocate, is he your advocate? And can I be brutally honest with someone here today? He's not. He's not because you've never invited him into your life to be your advocate. See, it's like this, if if I broke a law in Arizona today and I was guilty and I was headed to court and it was gonna be bad, but I found out there was one attorney, one advocate that could come and get me off, scot-free. Do you understand, it's one thing to know about that advocate, it's another thing to ask him to be my advocate and hire him to represent me. You'd say, Well, how do I ask Jesus to be my advocate? It's pretty awesome. He works pro bono, it's free. And people don't get this. They think, Well, I gotta, I gotta do a bunch of things, to, I gotta clean my life up first to, to ask Jesus to be my advocate. Wrong. Jesus becomes your advocate the moment you believe he is Lord, you repent of your sins, and you're baptized. That's what scripture tells us. You repent and you're baptized. (laughs) And this is why I love the picture of baptism. If you you ever watch a, a baptism, it just never gets old to me because you see someone going underneath the water, and that represents Jesus's death, and they come out of the water. This is Jesus's death going underneath the water, and then you come out of the water representing Jesus's resurrection, and you come out of the water a brand new person. The water is, is a representation of cleansing you from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus did for you. And look at the face. Look at the faces of people that come out of the water. It just never gets old to me because it's the face of someone who's forgiven, who's clean, who the accusations of Satan do not hold on your life anymore. That's the power of the cross. The problem is some of us have just never asked Jesus to be our advocate. And we just feel so unworthy. We're like, well, I'll I'll do it when I feel worthy. None of us are worthy. You don't wait. A deeper problem for some of us is this. It's actually not deeper. The deepest problem is we don't have Jesus. But once you invite Jesus into your life, do you know that some of us still operate as if we're still not forgiven? We, we just feel so much shame and unworthy all the time because we're just listening to the accusations of Satan. And here's a simple question I just want all of us to, to answer. I mean, it's a weighty question. Whose voice have you been listening to? Your advocate or your accuser? And it is really important to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice in, of Satan in your life, especially when you mess up when you sin, which all of us do. All of us do. So I want to just explain to you very clearly today how do you distinguish between God's convictions and Satan's accusations? How do you distinguish between them? And here's three ways you can distinguish or you can distinguish between these. Number one, God's conviction, I did something bad. Satan's accusation is I am bad. That's shame. It's shame versus guilt. And researchers are now catching up with what scripture says, that shame is one of the most destructive forces in a person's life. When you mess up and then you say, I am a bad person versus I did something bad, you take on the identity that Satan wants you to take on that you're a terrible person. Your identity is there. And do you understand the moment you let that accusation go into your heart, you'll run from God? So how do you know if it's God's voice versus Satan's accusations? It's very simple, watch this. God's voice draws you near to him, causes you to run towards God, and Satan's accusations will cause you to run away from God. So whatever you're dealing with right now, is it causing you to run towards God or are you running away from him? That's how you tell, which leads to number two, which is God's conviction leads to repentance. Satan's accusation leads to regret and running. What what is repentance? Watch this. Repentance literally means to make a U-turn, I'm I'm going in a certain direction, it's not right, I make a U-turn and I run back towards God. What did the prodigal son do? He realized his mistake and he ran back towards his father. And and you have to make a decision to repent and turn towards Jesus at some point in life, but then all throughout your life, you're still gonna mess up and you need to repent and run back to God, not live in regret, run away from God. I like what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. It says, for the kind of sorrow The word sorrow just means the feelings you have when you mess up. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. What's he saying? There's no regret when you have repentance and you run towards God. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, leads results in spiritual death. When you run away from God, it just spirals you into the same old mud and mess that you've been in the whole time instead of turning back to God. And how does Satan keep you in the mud? By telling you you're not worthy. By telling you you're horrible, you're worthless, you're a failure. So ditch the shame and run towards God, which leads to number three. God's conviction reminds you you're forgiven. Satan's accusation will tell you over and over again, you're broken. You're a broken person versus no, I'm forgiven and saved, a child of God. And the image I want you to have in your head today as we talk about this is I want to ask you, which side of the cross are you living on? You know, all of us at one point in our life were on this side of the cross. We we were filthy in our sin and our shame and our mess. But at some point you have to decide that Jesus went to a cross to forgive me of my sins and make me a new person and I'm gonna live on this side of the cross in the light. It doesn't mean I will be perfect. doesn't mean I'll never mess up again, but it means I'm forgiven and I'm made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? A new person. The old life is gone, the new life is gone has begun. And let me, let me just get personal for a, mi- for a minute. I followed Jesus and was baptized when I was 10 years old, and I stepped into the light. Do you know how easy it is for me, even as a pastor, to slip back on this side of the cross? You're worthless. Listening to Satan's accusations Some of you, though, you've never made the decision to get on the other side of the cross because you think you're so unworthy. And I I just wonder for all of us today, whose voice have you been listening to? Romans 6.11 says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother language and you hang on every word. So whose voice, sin or God? You were dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. So whose voice have you been listening to? You know, for some of us, the voice we've been listening to says this, it's this this side of the cross, that you are an adulterer. Can I speak to someone here? All you hear is you're an adulterer and you are sexually broken. Some of you hear that you're, you're, you're a failure, that you're a disappointment, that you're damaged goods, that you're shameful, and that you're worthless. This is all you hear. And what God wants you to hear today is his voice in your life, which says what? You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You're a blessing. You're strong. You're holy in his sight, and you are worthy. Whose voice are you listening to? One pastor said it this way, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. He knows who you are in Christ, but he calls you by your sin. What does God do? God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Amen? So you gotta start listening to the voice of God. I wanna talk to two different types of people here today. I'll just, I'll start here. I wanna speak to someone who has given your life to Jesus, you've relied on the cross, you've been baptized, you went all in, and yet you're still living over here. You know what this looks like? This looks like you steeped in the same sin over and over again because you can't realize that you are forgiven. Do you know if Satan can convince you that you're unworthy, he'll keep you in the mud? This looks like some of you, you Some of you right now, you're not here at church. You're watching online because you feel unworthy to be in the midst of God's people. And that's a lie from Satan himself to keep you from God's best for you. Some of you aren't serving right now. You feel so unworthy. Some of you are walking away from a marriage. You're running from your family. You're running from the people of God. And it's because this is what's lodged into your heart. You're living on this side of the cross. It's time to remember who you are. But you know, there's another group of you here today. You wouldn't even know what the light feels like because you've never been here. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never been baptized. And you know the reason why? You're here and you're waiting on a feeling One day I'll feel it. One day I'll get my life in order. One day I'll clean myself up. One day I'll be good enough. Can I speak boldly into your life today? You will never be worthy of the cross. I am not worthy of the cross. I have never been. You don't wait for a feeling. You make a decision to follow Jesus, and it's based on that decision and relying on the cross of Christ, that you can live in the light and you can do it today, you don't have to wait. And we're doing baptisms after every single service this weekend, and my challenge for many of you who've never given your life to Jesus, especially if you've done it and you haven't done it, and I talk to so many people like this, you haven't done it because you don't feel worthy, I'm gonna challenge you today to make this your day. You can walk straight to the baptistry after the service, we have pastors there, we have volunteers there, you're like, I didn't bring any clothes. We always have clothes, come on. We have a change of shorts, a, church, a shirt that says change. We have a towel. I mean, we're just so ready. You don't know why? Because we're always ready for someone who's ready to walk in the light, always. You know what's waiting for you at the baptistry though? It's a new life. It's getting rid of the old accusations and living a life where God says, this is who you are. I declare you worthy in my sight. And if you've never been baptized, I'm just gonna challenge you after the service to go take that step because there's no greater step you can take. But for all of us, for all of us, you have to understand the scheme of your enemy, Satan, and its accusation. And you have to stop listening to his voice and begin listening to the voice of God. Why? Because the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. That God's already won the battle, he's already lost, and because of the cross, Satan is defeated, and you're forgiven. So let's go live as children of God. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we come before you and just know that in your sight, Father, we're like Joshua, we are filthy. Father, I stand before you today. My best day is like filthy rags in your presence. And I know someone here today is just, they they feel so messed up. They don't feel worthy. I mean, even even thinking about walking to the baptistry right now, they, they just feel so unworthy. And God, would you take that voice and would you squash Satan's voice in their life so they can hear your son say, I'm ready for you. I've got open arms, My arms were hung on a cross, nailed there so you could picture me with open arms ready to receive you, to give you the life you've always wanted. So I pray for that person that needs to give their life to you today. Would you help them to take that step? But for all of us, myself included, Father, help me to to live listening to your voice and who I am, not Satan's accusations. And I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if today's your day, if today's your day, we're going to see you at the baptistry. Hey, CCV, let's go out and live a victorious life. Amen. See you. Have a good weekend.